Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. I can't explain it to people except to say... There is something inside you that just knows. It's like, I, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to try and be the best at it. Whether I've hit that stride or not, I don't know. But I feel like if you believe that you can do it, you can. You've got to just, you've got to get out of your own way. And I feel like for me, that at that point, I had to get out of my own way. Welcome to Shameless, the celebrity and pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. Today on the show, we have the absolute dynamo that is Lana Wilkinson. Lana is a celebrity stylist, having dressed the likes of Megan Gale, Rebecca Judd, Ruby Rose, Zoe Foster-Blake and Nadia Bartel, now turned fashion designer, founder of her eponymous self-titled shoe brand. Here's the thing about this chat. We recorded this a couple of weeks ago when it became very obvious the world was starting to change dramatically. Mish and I were flat and stressed and weren't actually sure if we had the energy to do one final in conversation in person. But Lana, you see, is such a ray of sunshine that we figured who better to bring in to lift our moods. And lift our moods, she did. Lana was wise and kind and thoughtful about the state of the world at the moment. And we walked out feeling far calmer and far lighter than we had in some time. We wanted to release this episode today in the hope that our conversation about career and fashion and these trying times could offer you the same comfort it offered us. So here's Lana. Lana Wilkinson, welcome to Shameless in Conversation. Thank you so much. It's such a privilege to be here. You were one of the first people to ever support us. We did, it was crazy, Zara. What was it? We did this crazy little phone interview series way yeah. back when Shameless first I think began. It was, I remember it was for the Logies and I remember I was sitting in my car thinking, don't make any noise, make sure you slow down when you're speaking. Like, <laughs> that's that's what I remember. I still even remember where I was sitting. It's so weird. Well, we had no listeners at that time and you said yes when we asked you to help 
help us out oh. and do an interview. So thank you so much. We are so grateful for you. You did not need to help us out back then when we were so tiny and we're so stoked to have you back in today. Not at all. Do you know what? It's all swings and roundabouts and it's so funny that you say helping you. That helps me as well. Right? <laughs> and I think um, one team, one dream, that's what I say. Mm. But no, you girls are so amazing and successful so I feel really, really <laughs> privileged. I'm <laughs> like, oh, I must be doing something right. <laughs> no, see, that's why it's all you. Hey, Lana, <laughs> the first question we always ask people is what are you reading, watching or listening to at the moment that you would recommend to someone okay. listening? I'm watching. I am a cl- well, I'm not even a closet fan, huge Australian Survivor fan. So oh. I am living and breathing Survivor at the moment. So that's what I'm that's what I'm watching. I'm also I love a bit of Law and Order SVU. It's so mm. sad. I know Olivia Benson, that's that's How I'm many all about episodes it. of that show have been made now? Twenty one seasons. Twenty one. You're insane. Kidding. Like I think it's like the longest American drama or something. It's sad that I know that information. How do you come up with new storylines for 21 different seasons? I'm just glued to it. My husband's like, (laughs) why are you watching this? Whereas Survivor, like we sit there together, we Mm. watch it, we yell at the TV, like it's borderline Bogan behaviour, like yelling. (laughs) But I'm here for it. I'm like, it's great. And I just, I think in the climate that we're in on any day, like life's so busy, we're always saturated with things on Instagram and I'm one of the people saturating them, I know, but (laughs) it's so great. And it's it's just back to basics, like how going to survive it's games it's I just love it I think it's great tv yeah. so and listening to well listening to you girls of course oh thanks um no your podcast is on rotation so um yeah I've, I've recently listened to you interview Brooke from Survivor so I was writing there so Survivor <laughs> fans loved that one oh, they were all over it like I knew people loved her but I guess because we haven't watched Survivor religiously yeah. you don't understand that intense like fandom of, mm, a, of a star of a show <laughs> that you're watching at that point in time do you read much do you have much time to read my reading really Really, I do a lot of – it's so sad. I read a lot on, online, which is, you know, uh, and it's usually quite late. I do a lot of research online and not necessarily so much like books. Like I've never been much of a reader, which is really bad. I love true crime and like I've been – this probably sounds really wrong, but everything that's been going on with Harvey Weinstein, so I've been following that kind of That is journalism. Zara to a T. I, I just – I think the whole – you know, the idea of this – and I, I love film and TV and so for me I knew exactly who he was well before this came. Whereas if you weren't really into that, you were like, oh, I kind of know about him. It's like I knew all about him. So I feel like I've read a lot of that. And I think it's just that fall from grace that's sort of that intrigue and that we as a society have allowed that kind of treatment and power trip to go on. Yeah. So I've been reading a lot about that and also just more, I guess, since I started my shoe brand, I'm very much, I read a lot about people that you look to kind of mentor you a little bit. So business people that I admire that have done really well. So I went through a stage, I was reading everything Oprah and then I was like, <laughs> you're such a cliche. You need to find other people. Are we all though? Like when you, when at times like this and you dive into like Brené Brown or yeah. TED Talks and you're like, God, I'm a cliche, but yeah. I don't mind it. No, I agreed. So technically reading some of those like the master classes and things mm. like that. I just think you learn so much from sometimes people's experiences, their successes, their failures. And I think particularly when I was starting my brand, I really, you know, you sort of jump in head first and you've got no idea what you're doing. And it was really great that some of those hurdles that at the start you sort of think are failures are actually the way that you learn and they're opportunities. And so from kind of reading that and getting that information through others, whether it be through podcasts or sort of things that they'd written or, you know, interviews and things like that, I think really helps build yourself and where you need to be. We can't wait to ask you all about your brand, but before we get there, let's start at the beginning. What was your childhood like? What are your memories from your time as a kid? 
My time as a kid, I just remember being very family orientated and there was always lots of people in our house. My parents loved to entertain. My dad, who runs a business with his brother, was kind of the workaholic of our family and that's where I get it from. Um, I blame him. I think he worries sometimes that I'm exactly like him, but I'm fine with it. Um, But I just remember him working really, really hard and I remember, you know, mum was the one who was like our tennis team manager. We played a lot of sports, so I love that and I think that's probably why I love Survivor. I love that that whole team camaraderie and things, except for the bit where you turn on each other. <laughs> um, but because um, I think in life I want to vote people off the island. But, um, <laughs> but no, I, I just remember it being really, really fun. And I, I remember always learning or knowing that you had to work hard for things, you know. And I remember when I was a teenager and I wanted a car, I remember just thinking, oh, well, you know, you do the guilt trip right because you don't know any different. Oh, well, Dad, you know, you went at the tennis games. Mum used to do that, so you can help us. And I remember him saying it's still with me to this day. If I just go and buy that for you, you're never going to learn the value of that car. If I buy it for you, if you hit it, you do something to it, you're just going to think that I can replace it. And that's not how I raised you. You you work hard, you receive, I'll help you, but I'm not going to do it for you. Mm-hmm. So I think I'd kind of always had that work ethic in me. So that's probably the thing when people ask about my childhood, I remember those things. But it was just fun. Like I wasn't, I haven't got any amazing milestones to talk about. It's kind of a bit sad really, isn't it? Not <laughs> sad at all. I think those are the most beautiful childhoods yeah. where it's like it kind of is one big blur and a very kind joyful of. one. Absolutely. What was your personality like as a kid? Oh, just talk too much, which I think a lot of people would probably say there. She hasn't lost that. I was I was always really upbeat. I was always quite competitive, which has probably helped me in business. Um, totally. But no, I just remember being very social. I like, and even now, like I really love being around people. I feed off great people. I love being around people with a positive energy. But I remember just playing a lot of sport. And I, I remember sort of always wanting to put my hand up to do things, you know, and, and lead, which I don't know what that says about me. But um, Were you like class captain, that kind I of was, leader? I was, I was. I, didn't I get never s- got voted class oh, captain. I was class captain a couple of times, but school captain, I didn't get. And I remember oh. at the time thinking, oh, conspiracy. Don't talk about right? this around Zara. She's been very quiet over there because oh. she was school captain. <laughs> what, aren't those things easy to get? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but, but I remember it was funny. It's funny how swings and roundabouts. I've got two children. I've got a, my daughter, Ava, she's six and in grade one. And my youngest is three, Al. And my eldest didn't get class captain this year. And I was like, wow, we're the same. That's why we butt heads sometimes. We're all the same. <laughs> and I said to her, don't worry. I said, mummy didn't get school captain. But you know what? In the last five years, the high school or my secondary college, St. Columbus, where I went, has called me back twice to do like leadership discussions and like mentoring. Such a like, smug feeling. I know. It's really good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm well, I'm, and I'm happy to come back. Um, no, but it was it, what I'm saying is I think it's just sometimes when doors don't necessarily open, I want her to learn really early on that it doesn't mean that they're closed forever. There are yeah. other things that you can do. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Tell me about your relationship with fashion as a young person, particularly in your teens. Like what did fashion mean to you then? I think for me, and again, I mentioned I watched a lot of television, right? I think people thought, like I was the girl that would watch like entertainment tonight. Like that was what, and I just die for that, what was going on the red carpets and things. So that was definitely when I was older. When I was younger, my mum had a lot of friends and was bridesmaids for lots of people, you know, in her youth, or I won't say youth, she'll kill me for saying that, but... <laughs> um, <laughs> 
But I used to get her bridesmaids dresses and cut them and like make costumes and things really? like that. Oh yeah, I'm sure she loved it not. <laughs> but I used to do that a lot and I used to play with her clothes and try things on. And I think in terms of fashion, my mum had always taught me like always go out groomed, right? Like she was never the mum that went out in her tracksuit pants. She always had a, a face on and her hair done. And I think so I, I sort of I guess my relationship with it was was always related to looking good and feeling good and then that would be what you project onto people. And I think it's quite ironic now because that's kind of the ethos for my whole business. And then as a teenager, I remember just loving like just wearing the latest things, again, much to my parents' dismay, tried to make dad feel guilty again. <laughs> you can buy this for me. Um, and then at uni, it was so funny because I went to RMIT, I did public relations there and I had relationships with like back then Bettina Liano, Scanlon and Theodore, they'd walk in the store and be like, hi, Lana. And at the time I was working for my dad and, you know, putting myself through uni and I'd just be like trying to wear fashionable things, the next big thing. And I laugh about this now because Helen O'Connor, who's the designer of Thurley, used to be in at my university and we used to just, my girlfriend Marissa and my friend Mietta, they're my only two friends from uni, and we used to just drool over Helen walking through because she was working at Scanlon at the time and would oh. be head to toe and you'd just be like, I'm so jealous. <laughs> also, it was like, how are you affording it all? Yeah, like it's so amazing. Oh, staff discount. You know, and it's funny because Helen and I have had such a laugh over the years because we work a lot together and have done a lot over the years and I just remember that. So I think I've always just loved it. I think yeah. it's just, I think it's a way of being able to, to share who you are and, you know, not necessarily having to speak. I can't quote that quote. That was a Rachel Zoe saying that I swear by. And I think it's such a great way to feel really positive. So, and I'm all for it. I'm here for it. I think, how can we all do that so we feel good about ourselves? You worked in a nine-to-five marketing job for a long time. Is that I, right? I did. I wouldn't say it was nine-to-five. I reckon – well, I would always be a little bit late. Um, it would be <laughs> – 9.30 to 6.30. It's so funny sitting in your office now. My building, which was the last sort of corporate job I had, was at Stockland. I was a project marketing manager there. And um, I'd sort of rock in at about 8.30 and I'd sometimes leave at like 9.30, 10 o'clock. Oh, wow. And I'd park in the, the car park just over in – on. Uh, <laughs> Flinders Street there and would walk and it was just a different time but I remember working really hard like now I understand though too that sometimes that's not the best thing it should have been nine to five right because it's time management Mm. and I used to be sitting in that office really late at night and I'd be thinking I'm working so hard you know I should get a pay rise I should be like all those things that you do when you're young right and now I look and I just go, wow, like you, you, you idiot, you should have gone home. Oh <laughs> you know? my God, I have that as well. You know? I look back on my very first career job and I thought at the time that working overtime and not taking holidays was a big one for me. Mm. That was like a badge of honour. Yes. And looking back now, I'm like, Marta. I was such an idiot. I thought I was like the best employee. Me too. The best employees are the ones who do their job, but also have a bit of separation where they can go home and Agreed. switch off and just do their job well without burning themselves out. Because burning yourself out doesn't help anyone. No, exactly. And I think for me, having my own business and having staff has only been the thing that's made me see that. Isn't that yeah. funny? All these years later. But I'm so lucky because I had such great mentors there, both men and women, who were very strategically thinking and minded and and I learnt so much. But they were the things like being a leader, right? You've got to make the tough calls. And I remember one time sitting there, uh, Stephanie Vannon, who is, I believe still works there, and I remember just sort of thinking, I'm working so hard. And she said exactly those things you said. It's just you've got to you've got to manage your time. You being a slave to your job doesn't make you the best employee. So I think there was a lot of learnings there that I've taken and tried to sort of, I guess, adopt and think, I guess, now moving fast forward and you've got staff and I'm sitting, I'm like, I sound like her. 
<laughs> but then I think you've kind of evolved, right? Yeah, so, that's an amazing thing. Yeah. I want to know, when you were sitting back in that job or in those jobs, because there were a few over that yeah. time, did you always think that PR and marketing was the end game? Or did you think, as you sat at the desk, I'm probably not going to be here forever? Do you know, I was, I was very scared, to be honest. I always thought maybe I would be there forever because I didn't know if I could back myself in. Before Stockland, I was at Westfield. And so I worked in fashion and PR marketing there, which was incredible and probably set me up to have the relationships and the courage that I have now, you know, to to work. And, and I really think, particularly understanding the retail landscape, so understanding that people might have stores, but that Westfield's job was to market to get them in to the centre, how you then sold, you know, how you got people in buying was up to the retailer. So I think in, particularly um, in retail, has been in a very interesting space for the last 12 months. I think even as I've started my brand, I've been able to sort of call back on a lot of that information. In terms of, was it always part of it? I think marketing and PR for me, because it is, has always been an underlying theme of my job, particularly at Stockland, that was definitely marketing but business acumen and learning those things I think they roll over into whatever you're doing and for me I remember I fell pregnant with Ava and I was going on maternity leave and by that stage I'd already been working as a stylist on the side for three years. How does that happen? Does it, is there a part of you that just thinks I kind of want to pull on a different creative side of my brain I miss fashion and I want to yeah. balance this stuff out? Absolutely. I think the way it happened for me was it was really random. I had somebody who contacted me who, was fr- who I was friends with who was going on a reality show and reality was still in its infancy then. And they well, knew this is what, six? No, this is more than, this almost 10 like years ago. Eight, yeah, eight, nine years ago. Wow. Nine years ago. Okay, so yeah, they call you and ask time. you, can you help with my outfit? Yeah, pretty much because they could see that because I'd been at Westfield, I had a lot of designer relationships yeah. that I still kept in contact with can you get me clothes? And I think then you got to remember Instagram was sort of just starting. I, I didn't even think it was existing at that point. It was mm-hmm. Facebook. So I remember I'd be putting up, you know, here I am on my Saturday night and people <laughs> would be like, where's your outfit from? Where's your dress from? And for me, it was always comfortable to dress others than it was to dress myself. And again, I don't know if that was like needing approval, feeling scared. I'm not sure. I just felt comfortable in that space. I mm-hmm. just loved making people feel really good. So it came about where it was like, I've got this show coming up. Can you help me get outfits for it? I was like, oh, I can do that. So I'd do my Stockland 8.30 till 6, 7 o'clock at night, 7 o'clock at night. And then after hours, I'd be emailing and then the mornings were in my lunch breaks. So I'd be like sourcing it, getting it done. And then from that, there was just this roll-on effect. I can't explain it. I don't know how. People say, what was the secret? I don't know if it was treating people well, doing good work. I don't know. But I think that a lot of it was the networking and the relationships that I had because people that, you know, were working with me at Westfield had then moved on to jobs at Maya. Hey, Lana, we've got this opportunity. Can we call you to do this? And so it was this snowball effect that was then happening all of the hours that I wasn't at Stockland, including weekends. I was doing editorials, I was doing photo shoots, was all happening at the same time. And as that was happening, were you thinking to yourself, all right, this is what I want to do. I'm just going to keep oh, building 100%. and keep building and keep building. And the idea was to just make the jump eventually. Yeah. I think I think doing the jump, it seems like now I look back and I go, you should have done it earlier. But I just, I wasn't there. I'd had a Story mortgage. of our lives, Lana. I, I had a more, oh, isn't it? Life. Isn't it? And I think that's the thing. Fear will hold you if you let it, mm. you know. And for me, I was so scared that I wouldn't be able to pay my mortgage because by this stage I've got a young baby. I've got – and I, I'm that grateful for my husband, Liam. He backed me in and was like, if you want to do this, let's do it, but you've got to do it now. Like you got to – we can't we can't have you working stupid hours. You need to – You need the people to do that. A hundred percent. I don't think Zara and I would have gone off and done Shameless on our own if we didn't have our partners and our families pushing us. Oh, I agree. And at the start it wasn't always like that. Like particularly when, you know, 
Stockland, I was earning very good money. Sometimes I go, why did you leave? But no, um, <laughs> but you know, I was earning great money. And you know, my dad, as I mentioned before, worker, you know, stability is key. And he would say, are you sure you want to do this? Like people, because a lot of, a lot back then and even now to a degree, people expect you to do things and not get paid. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how am I going to make this a career? But I can't explain it to people except to say, and probably, and I know I'm sitting here with you guys, I've seen where you've come from and I know you'll be really able to relate. There is something inside you that just knows. It's like, I, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to try and be the best at it. Whether I've hit that stride or not, I don't know. But I feel like if you believe that you can do it, you can. You've got to just – you've got to get out of your own way. Mm. And I feel like for me that at that point I had to get out of my own way. And that so, is so good. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Pearls of wisdom. So when you, Sorry, deep. No, <laughs> no, that is great. It's so true though. You've got to get out of your own way. Yeah. And for so many people they sit at home or they come to us in our DMs even and say, I've got an idea. Yeah. And it's like you've just got to start. No one's going to tell you if it's going to work or if it's going to – No, you've got to just do it. And yeah. I think even – you know, we're, we're sitting in a climate at the moment. It's like, oh, I think I can do this. Just do it. You know, mm. you're not going to lose anything. And I think the great thing about people starting out now is there's people that really are passionate about pushing people up, mm. you know, and I think do it. Like we're here for a short time, not a long time. Was, was there a point when you thought, okay, I will get this client and that means that I've made it or that means yeah. that I'm doing well? Was there someone that you thought, I just want to be able to style them? Definitely. Regretfully, I want to tell you that on that journey, I took note of that and that's the regret I have, not enjoying it, being present because every time something great would happen, I'd enjoy it and then I'd be like, oh my God, what's going to be next or how do I better this? In saying that, that wasn't always the case, but there were definitely people along the journey where things happened. At the, I remember the first job I got where I was still working at Stockland and I was about to go on maternity leave and the Victoria Racing Club called me up to do the Emirates Melbourne Cup Tour in New Zealand. And I remember I just made it because there's a certain period of time you're not allowed to fly and I just made it. And for me, I'll always be indebted and grateful to the Victoria Racing Club for doing that for me because it gave me the confidence to go, oh my God, I'm getting paid real money to do this real job for this real organisation. So that was definitely a turning point. In terms of talent, I mean, I've, I've been had the good fortune of working with some amazing celebrities. I have a list here before you go. <laughs> so Megan Gale, Rebecca Jard, Ruby Rose, Zoe Foster-Blake, Nadia Bartala, just a small handful. A small, yeah. Oh, it's, you know, and it's funny, sometimes it's taken when you read it to go, wow, it's pretty amazing. Ruby Rose happened while I was still doing my freelancing. And I say free because, as I mentioned, I was working full time and working for free, trying to build my brand. And we'd shot an editorial for her. And it was the first time I worked with Joey Scandizo, who's now a great friend as well. He's a hairdresser. And I remember thinking, I'm getting to meet Joey. Now I'm like high-fiving Joey, going, good to see you, you know. But then it was such a big deal to work with this great creative who'd built these, this sort of empire business. And Ruby was was amazing. And we I put her in this dress that Green with Envy used to be a, a big store in the city. When I was in high school, everyone well, loved Green Everyone with just Envy. wanted yeah. to be able to afford Green with Envy, but nobody could. That's right. was like, that was the store. And it was the experience, right? And then you could buy everything there. You could buy your shoes there. You could buy your dress there. And so there was a Nicholas dress that Irene, that was her brand, and she uh, owned and and ran Green with Envy and we put it on her and it sold out. And so that was a real – I talk about that because that made me realise very quickly that there was some connectivity between the marketing I was doing, Instagram and, you know, the styling. So getting people to buy in that way and and engage with brands and that's what I knew how to do, right? So I thought, right, well, we can use that as as an asset. And then I think in terms of over the journey, I mean, again, for – some of your, your listeners that, that can recall at the time, the styling sort of 
got, for lack of a better term, was Rachel Zoe. And I remember in 2015, I had the good fortune of being asked, and I remember I was sitting in a room with Romano Beck, who was a PR company in Melbourne, and Judy Romano, who's kind of, again, a PR genius, sat around a table, and I'm thinking I'm going in to have a meeting to do some styling for Chadson, thinking I'm pretty, life's pretty good. And she turns around and says, oh, confidentially, it's Rachel Zoe and you're going to have to be her person in Australia on the ground getting her, her clothing and, and, and working with her. And I was just like, oh, how? God. How do you even – because that's like going to the messiah of styling I and being know. like, now I'm going to help you do it. Oh, like, it was, was that a huge confidence crisis or was it like a big confidence boost for you to say you're al- so good that you can do this? I don't know if I'm allowed to swear. I, I, I don't know you're if allowed to swear. swear. Oh, I rip. was absolutely shitting myself. <laughs> but I just kept thinking, be cool. Be cool. Of course they're asking you. Be cool. <laughs> and so I'll forever be grateful to Judy and Gareth for that opportunity. And it was incredible. Like it opened up so many doors. I worked with brands that prior to that I probably wouldn't even touch. Like, But all the high-end luxury brands were, were, were I was liaising with her team and it was incredible and I remember setting up the night before and we were at Crown until two in the morning laying everything out and there was a lot of brands I remember going to Zimmerman and pulling my own stuff because the team had sort of said she kind of likes this vibe and then you'd go and do a bit rogue because you want to show that you've done a good job right Mm. and I remember setting up the rack and we were there till two in the morning and I still didn't know if I was going to get to be with her or if it was going to be a phone call with her team member I didn't know it was really I can see and we were downstairs at Crown and I'll never forget it and they said oh you've got to come up and I was, it's the first time and the only time in my entire career I've literally been shaking. Like <laughs> I was like, because this is, this is the person that, this is the reason I was doing this. I watched Rachel Zoe Project. It was the thing that made me go, I want to work in fashion. I'm inspired. Like it's meeting your hero on the flip side. I was like, I'm meeting my hero. Please don't wreck this. Please don't be like nice. <laughs> Please don't be Because unfortunately, up until that point as well, I had met a lot of people and worked with people that I admired and then I met them and worked with them and thought, mm, Isn't, doesn't really that like, suck? Oh, it's terrible. It's happened to us before. I've been like, damn it. Just be like nice, I thought you were right? going to be a good one. Just and you be just, nice. You're not. Yeah. Just be nice. It's not hard. Mm. And so – and at that stage, I'd learned some pretty hard lessons prior to that. So I was really nervous and I remember walking in and she was – amazing delightful I don't want to go in that room I know you need to show me through it so talk me through it and next thing you know I'm pulling out outfits and then I remember saying it was her first appearance look I kind of I've pulled this Zimmerman I know you like Zimmerman anyway it was amazing and she was great and she had so many insights and was very encouraging her husband was there as well and so he was amazing it was all great and then she ended up wearing her first engagement was the Zimmerman look that I pulled so I was like yay it's just those little things that give you those confidence boosters right and so I think from then on in I realized that when I'd worked with someone who'd worked with everybody that she has and had been so nice I thought that's going to be the benchmark now like treat people the way you want to be treated and don't accept poor behavior that's what I want to ask you about because We've just rattled off a whole bunch of really incredible names and, and you and are one people. of the most connected people I know oh, in gosh, the entire industry. <laughs> and I know you said there's no special ingredient, mm. but I do want to talk to you about networking and how mm. you've managed to build this circle and network around you. Mm. What are some of the tips you have for people who in their own industry might want to really foster those close connections with people? And yeah. is it just be friendly and be warm? Is there anything more uh, to it than that? I think, oh, I think there is. I think you've got to be authentic, definitely. Don't pretend to be someone you're not, ever, because it – I mean, well, don't say ever. Sometimes you have to, right? <laughs> I know I have. My husband's now going, I remember you standing at the races talking about something that you would never talk about. <laughs> <laughs> just just, just doing like, what you do. You've got, to adapt. you've got to adapt as well. First and foremost, when we talk about a lot of those names you wrapped off, they are amazing people. Mm. 
incredible people who are supportive. They're great people. So that's that's the first thing. And they are just people. They're people that you know, but they're great people. People that have inspired me, people I've been able to go to and talk about business with, like, you know, Meek and Gail, for example, Rebecca Judd, both have businesses. I, we, I've shared. I've, I've, so they're very, very supportive. I think, though, and I'd learnt this really early on from when I was uh, – after I'd finished my uni degree that I was talking about, and it sounds like it was 50 years ago. It wasn't. <laughs> but I remember being on reception at Fox Footy and I remember thinking that reception was where it's at because that's where – like the director of television at Foxtel, Brian Walsh, who's still the director of TV there today, I would – I'd pick up the phone and be like, hi, Brian. He'd come in, I'd get his coffee, I'd talk to him. So it's like never underestimate wherever you're sitting where you can go. And for me, a lot of the relationships I had, even now, there's talent I've worked with, their wives were walking in that studio that knew me when I was sitting on reception there. So first of all, be nice to the receptionist, be nice to the cleaner because you never know where they're going to go. There are people that I remember being horrible to me that asked me to dress them however many years later and all of a sudden, sorry, we're booked. (laughs) And I think it's because you've just got to make that deal with yourself. I think very much so that I was always taught, even from the my boss at that time, her name was Shannon, I can't remember her surname, but she was brilliant. And she said, always work like you're covering yourself. And I've never, that's never left me. So I think it's always like treat people the way you want to be treated. I do think it's about the way you behave as well. Like a lot of what I do, you're seeing people that they're most vulnerable and you're hearing things, particularly in, in the industry that I'm in, whether it be fashion, celebrity, television, even businesses and corporates when you're doing their campaigns and things. Like it's very – it's IP, it's information. And so you've got to learn to be able to shut your mouth. Like, you know, and I think I was I was able to kind of generate a lot of referral because I think people just enjoyed – the work that I did and maybe enjoyed being around me. I'm, I don't know. You'd probably have to ask a lot of those they people. They trust – what I what I have gleaned is that people just trust you. Yeah, I so, hope so. implicitly that they just know they're safe in your hands, yeah. which is such a beautiful testament to the work that you do. I, it sounds really cliche and it, I, I don't mean it to, but I really do believe that people buy into people, right, and people remember things. And I don't think people are going to – no one's going to write on my tombstone one day – she styled that Brownlow or that Logies or that campaign amazingly. She nailed that look. She nailed that, you know. She might, she might say, they might say, oh, she, you know, she talked way too much on that, that <laughs> But I think, you know, we're not going to save the world one jacket at a time. And my experience very early on in this industry, when I remember my first fashion week, I was so excited. I was like, I'm going to meet these designers. I'm going to meet these models that I love. I'm going to – and I walked away – feeling a little bit less of a person because people are actually not nice. Not all people, some. And I remember thinking, I'm never going to be like that. No matter where I land in this career, no matter who it is, if it's someone that's talking to me on Instagram, someone in the street that wants to come up and say, I love what you're doing, you know what, that person, that might go away one day, so enjoy this while it's here. So I think think for me it was all just about making people feel good but not think you're saving a life one jacket at a time because fashion isn't – it should be something that's enjoyed. It should be fun. So I think that those sort of situations kind of changed my thinking and I think I really just wanted to make sure that the legacy that I leave, whether it be in the industry or in an experience I have one-on-one with someone, is how you make them feel. That's what I wanted to ask you about as well because I imagine dressing people, you are 
doing something very delicate because you're also dealing with ego. Like 100%. if you were to put a clothing on me right now and I didn't like it and it fit weird mm. and, you know, you kind of know your own body better than anybody else, it must be a strange thing having to work with that with somebody else. <gasps> what is it like dealing with those kind of egos? Or I, insecurities even. Both of those I, things it, at the same 100, time. 100%. I would say it is insecurities. It is. because, And I think that was a thing I learned really early on. I think that – in terms of adapting, I, I like to think, and I think that's the other thing, I've I'm, I'm got great relationships and I think I'm good at building relationships and building rapport. And I think I learned that in my corporate roles, to be honest, adapting. Like I'd gone from Westfield where it was like, oh, fashion and, you know, go all this dress and retail email marketing newsletters and things like that. And then I'm at Stockholm, which is about land and property and dealing with, you know, a very, very intelligent man whose attention spans like, no one can see me, but like not very big. <laughs> and you're needing to communicate effectively. So you've got to adapt, right? So I think, I think that's got to do with it. I think being able to read body language is a huge part of it. Like I can tell straight out the gate if someone's comfortable or not. But I also think what are the things that I do? It's my process and it's something I share quite willingly and I think it's not only just applying to fashion I think it's in work I think it's in getting to know people I think it's when you're trying to move up in your job or in your personal relationships have conversations that enable you to get to know someone so the things that I'll be I'll ask are what are the things you like about yourself what are the things you don't like there's no point if someone doesn't like sharing their arms, bringing out a strapless dress. They're not going to wear it. So you've got to do your research. Luckily, these days we have a wonderful thing called Google as well (laughs) or Instagram where you can do a little bit of stalking. But you too, you've got to do your homework, you know, and I think understanding somebody is key when you're dressing them. And I think for me, because I do have a lot of those conversations straight out the gate and sometimes it's difficult because you'll have those conversations with a manager or a third party and so that sometimes you kind of got to go – they're saying one thing, but I've done. My, I've had a look here, and that doesn't look like it. So sometimes then you're double handling, and mm. I've done that in the past because you've always got to have options. I think so. For me, it's just being able to read the play. It's something that I think can be taught or learnt, for lack of a better term. But I think for me, that's been my skill that I've brought to the table. I think, and I think people feel comfortable because I learnt very early out the gate is you can't make people be something they're not in anything. Because it's going to come out eventually. And I think that's the great thing about social media, right? Mm. You can see it from a mile away. Sometimes not because we use Facetune and filters and things. But I think overall, you can't hide who you are. So let's embrace who you are and highlight that. Coming up after the break, Halana is finding her footing in this new world. But first a word from our sponsor. I want to talk to you about how you deal with feedback, particularly in mm. your industry, worst dress lists yeah. are a thing, or I mean, they're not really called worst, best no. and worst anymore. They're just called like the most notorious looks from the red carpet. Yeah. Or, or just like people's comments saying, I fucking hate that dress. Yeah. <laughs> how do you deal with that? Do you care if any of your dresses well, receives? Yeah, they, you do. How do I, you process it? I've been lucky not to pump up my tyres. hasn't happened recently. But, um, <laughs> but it definitely when you're starting out, 100%. To, to say, do I care? Absolutely. I think what's changed within me though in the last, and I don't know if being a parent has done that as well because you care. I often say to a client, we've got to be on board, particularly if it's a custom dress and a red carpet where it is getting that glaring attention. We have to be on board together collaboratively with the designer to make sure we're happy with what we're doing because you're the one who's got to wear it, you've got to own it. So early on you try and sort of go, oh, we should do this and you can feel it's, it's not somebody's comfort place for lack of a better term. And you, what I learned is you can't hide that on a red carpet. If you're uncomfortable, you can tell. I can tell when I watch red carpet who's been told that's right for you and they don't feel it and who's owning it. 
And the key is you've got to get them to own it. If, it's, if they're not owning it, it's the wrong dress. So I have this little kind of method of madness where it's like right time, right person, right dress or right outfit. You get all those three right, right, you've got a slam dunk. And I used to call it, remember Bryn Edelstein? Yes, okay. of course. So she would get out on a red carpet in her tutu and stuff and love you, love you girl. I'm not, I'm not bagging her at all. And own who she was. It didn't matter that no, none of us understood it. But she owned it. And so she was – whilst people were critical, they never criticised her outfits because she owned them. It was her. It was her. This is me. Take it or leave it. So my aim is always to kind of have the Brynette Edelstein effect where it's like get people to, to own what they're doing. So you've, I really do – when I'm working with people is trying to get people to – or trying to make sure I've got the right designer working with someone so that we get the right outcome. In terms of how I deal with it, and I've obviously got a brand now as well, so there is feedback that comes with having a product and that backbone has got very strong in the last year or two. Absolutely, it has to. You are putting yourself out there. You have to own that feedback. For me as a stylist, it's a different thing because you're also having to look after somebody else's brand. So I take that responsibility very seriously. So for me, we've got to go in on a journey together and be like, if we're good with this, that's what matters the most. And so because of that outlook, I feel like I haven't really been hit in that way, but I've also learned from doing this for that long you're never going to please everyone and fashion is so subjective. Completely subjective. Talk to us then after all of this time styling and nailing your styling and finding incredible clients that you turned around and thought, you know what, I'm going to start a shoe brand. Wow. Okay. That's a big That's a big question. But I think if I – remember I mentioned to you before about backing myself in. If I had done that, I probably would have done shoes before I became a stylist. Really? Uh, yep. Yep. I wanted to do a shoe brand for years. It was. It's always been my thing. And what I is think it about shoes? That you love? I feel like they can make or break an outfit in a lot of ways. They make you feel good. You know, sometimes, particularly after I had kids, I was like, body's not looking so great. Like that was my own stuff. That's how I felt. And so I wasn't necessarily buying things that I loved. I was buying things that look good. But I always could rely that my shoes, my bag, my accessories were the things that made me feel good. Sounds really. I know it sounds, you know, probably. But quite it's not because everyone needs their like vices. Yeah, and if shoes are your vice, then because well, the shoes didn't change size. Actually, my second, my second child, Al, but they, my feet grew a little bit. But, <laughs> but that was my <laughs> thing. That moment. was my thing that made me feel like me. Yeah. So I feel like for me, the shoes was always something I really wanted to do. I had obviously done a lot of red carpets. I'd worked with a lot of major corporates. I've dressed so many, as you mentioned before, and I feel so grateful to have had those experiences and want to continue to have those experiences. But I also was getting, I guess, I was getting a bit antsy. I was like, okay, what's the next thing? If I'm not going to go and work overseas, and at that point, and still, I've got two children, it's not, it's not my life, my life is here. How can I do something that's going to challenge me? And, you know, maybe sort of step back into some of those operational business things that I, I also missed. And I remember I'd, I'd recently signed with One Day uh, Dream manage, uh, PR. Uh, Prue Corrigan is my manager, and she is very, she's almost another business mentor in my life and a friend. And, I remember she said, what do you want? When I sat down with her and she said, what do you want? And I just said it and I'd never said it really. I'd said it to my husband, Liam, but I said, I want a shoe brand. She goes, well, why aren't you doing it? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I said, people see me this way and I'm behind. And it's like, well, we can do it. That's just a mind shift for you. You need to change your mindset. And I was like, okay. And the next thing you know, two weeks later, I went up to a Christmas party in Sydney for her, for, for the company and there was somebody who had been in the shoe industry for a long time sitting up the top of a VCs going, so you want to start a shoe brand? Let's make this happen. And it was like, 
oh crap, we're actually doing this. The stars aligned. <laughs> Wait, I put yeah. this out to the universe. Now I have to do it. I have to do it. And I want to talk to you before. Sorry, I yeah. just cut you off. But I want to talk to you about a little comment that you just made then, which I'm curious by. You just said, I'm behind. What did you mean when you said that? Because I think so many people feel like they're behind without really figuring out what they mean by that. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's Yeah, there we go. Let's not get tears going. Behind being, I wasn't the talent, you know. I arguably, to some people, and this was my personal belief at the time, I wasn't enough. I didn't think I was enough. That if I wasn't standing behind somebody I was working with, why would people care about what I think, right? Right. So if I have a brand and I put all my money into it, are people going to want to buy it? Mm. Which by this stage, you know, I'd had a huge following on Instagram. It certainly wasn't my clients telling me that. They were saying, go and do this. It's so interesting that you say that because I remember from the moment that I probably started following you on Instagram, which was years ago, Mm. that you were a talent styling the talent. Like in my perspective, just as a young person watching fashion, but it's really interesting how you kind of internalise these thoughts yourself. That's right. See how Instagram's not that real? (laughs) (laughs) Funny that. Yeah, but I think, but again, they're, they're, they're not demons as such. I think it's just stages. And I think had I have started earlier than that, I probably wouldn't appreciate what I have now. So I think things happen for a reason as well. What did you learn about yourself and what have you been learning about yourself in building this brand with products? That if you challenge yourself, you're capable of anything. That if you don't try, failure is not trying, Mm. not failing. Does that make sense? Mm. Like if I, success looks like giving it a crack, you know, and I think that was the thing and that getting out of your own way. I think for a lot of for a lot of the time, I remember when I was doing it and I, one of the other things that I did, and again, it's that fear thing, right? What will people think? was I deliberately didn't go out and sort of say I'm working on this. So I was working and had the most work I reckon I'd ever had last year from a styling perspective, jobs at the front, being an expert, you know, doing wonderful things like this. And I was working, doing that all behind the scenes privately. Was that because you didn't want people to know? What was it? You were you were embarrassed or you no, were? No, I think I was worried that because there were so many things I didn't know about the shoe industry that I was learning as I was going – that it was like, what if something happens and all the stock gets it just stupid stuff goes yeah. through your head when you're you're a startup. Yeah. What if it all gets you know the factory goes on fire and there's no shoes and you've gone out and said that there's a shoe brand and in a way it was kind of an armor for me I think like okay this is what I know I can keep doing this and then the shift happened when you know you're getting samples and you're learning as you go and it was happening you know and we'd started to go all right we're going to have a launch and putting this out to the universe and it was the best it was like free falling because I didn't I deliberately didn't get and this was probably my dad's work ethic in the back of my mind I didn't seek to get an investor I wanted to do it on my own because I didn't want if I was going to go down I was going down by myself I probably dragging my husband with me but <laughs> sorry Liam yeah. <laughs> but but generally speaking I just didn't want that responsibility I felt like I'd already had enough trying to make sure that my clients were still getting the utmost level of service that they they could get and that I was still doing the best of my ability and, and working hard because I'd used to being multitasking right I was already I'd done that before I'm in marketing being a business girl these many hours and then after hours I'm doing this so that wasn't new for me working like a Trojan and having three hours sleep a night that was pretty standard did you so just say three hours of sleep I think that night? was a lie probably got four I need four. Oh, if I don't have four, no. if I don't have four, but you can't do that forever. Just but I could do it for a while. Any time sounds sickening to me. Yeah, <laughs> there, I like I can do four. I can get. I think.
think ch- having children as well has done that. Trains like I you for do, it. I can't do less than four okay. for a long period of time. God, I'm terrified right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Zara. Oh, God. I was like, I'm pretty sure I had a terrible night's sleep last night and I can like uh, see the bags. Anyway, what I wanted to ask yeah. you with all of that in mind is what don't people see about your job and your life? Because I think there's a certain glamour about the yeah. fashion industry and celebrity styling that people think it's this very glittery thing. I think that it's not glamorous. And I think that probably sounds like such a standard thing to say, but it's not. It's hard, you know, and there's, I think in a lot of ways, a lot of, you know, and I think it's changing, but a lot of businesses when they're employing stylists particularly don't necessarily see the value, Mm. you know, there's a lot of prep beforehand, there's a lot of returns, there's a lot of overhead and operational costs. You know, if someone's wearing something, you've got to dry clean it, you've got to get it back, you've got to keep your relationships with designers. I think from a, a shoe designer point of view, I mean, I'm running two businesses at the same time plus the personality side of the things I do so it's like three arms of Lana Wilkinson which sounds weird when I'm talking about myself you can all laugh about no, me but, but, but you're right but like there you are you kind of have to be multifaceted or living like it's not living three separate lives because no. you're not living a double life no. but there's three very different modes that you have to be in That's to right. do each job right That's have you right. spent then I mean I'm interested that you just said I feel like a lot of people haven't seen the value in hiring a style so you've mm. got to prove yourself yeah have you felt that the last few years has been you kind of justifying why you are where you are or why you've been employed or is it kind I of think, becoming more understood? I think for me, I feel like I've built that reputation up. I'm, I probably more speak for those that are coming up behind me mm. and just different conversations that I've had. And, and I think a lot of people go, well, this is how much budget we've got. But it's like, we can make or break the way something looks, what the end outcome is. So I think there's just having that end value from an industry point of view. You know, I remember doing a job a few years back and they were paying me the same as a makeup artist. And a makeup artist is brilliant too, but they come in and they go, I'm not devaluing makeup artists, they're incredible. But it's like, I'm doing prep for two or three days either side of this job. So I think it's just understanding, quantifying time. So I I think that that's part of it. I think the other thing is just sort of understanding that as an industry, we've got to be able to all back each other up and see the sorts of value that we add as a, as a boss now in terms of, it feels weird saying a boss, but I guess managing a business that has operations, I've got a customer care team, I've got a management team, an accountant, a brand manager, like, and then making sure what gets put out is on brand and, and giving my customers what they want, as well as styling people and making sure that then talks about what the Lana Wilkinson styling brand looks like and making sure that's aligning itself with the right things and that the right people are enjoying what we do and, and you know, and I guess making sure that clients are feeling good. Like at the end of the day, the whole ethos of my brand is make you feel good. It's not rocket science. So I think, I think for me it's just what success looks like is taking that through and making sure that, that that's always what it's about. Absolutely. It's been a tricky time in the world right now. I mean, we've touched on it here and there in this podcast already, but I want to talk to you, what role does clothes play and your love of fashion play in such a, to be on a sad time yeah. like this? Is it an escape for you? Absolutely. And I think as well too, and, you know, working from home is a real can be a real challenge for people. They're used to having people around them. For me, and I, I didn't touch on this before, but I built the Lana Wilkinson shoe brand from my house. So we were working and operating out of my house. Myself, uh, my staff member, Hayley Roach, and we would operate in the back room, you know, and then the walls start to close in on you. But the keys were were to get up every morning, put a face on, get dressed. It's real basic stuff, isn't it? But I think for me, the role that fashion plays make you feel good. You don't have to sit around in your pyjamas all day. You don't have to. If you want to share, now is the time to share. Do the things that you said you were going to do. 
you know, for me, I feel like I'm, I need to put my hand up and go, okay, well, I need to edit my wardrobe because it's shocking. Because, <laughs> you know, you go to that 20%, like I've got that Bing T-shirt that yeah. you've got on and I, I'll just wear that on rotation. We'll wash it in between, of course, but then the, <laughs> like sure. a Scanlon shirt I'm wearing now. Yeah. Like it's just how do we make ourselves feel good? And I think the role that it can play can really shift your mindset. And that's that's the reason that I that I do what I do. It's why when people say, oh, why don't you just do your shoes? I was like, because I love styling and that's what put me here. The clients are what put me here. That's why even when I launched, I was naming shoes after people. I think people, I know people thought that it was just, oh, that's strategic so that person will share it. Absolutely not. Like, and there's more coming where some of those names that you've dropped are are about, it wasn't so much the the physical thing, it was the support Mm -hmm. that made me feel brave enough to go, I am enough, I can do this. And so I think, I think fashion can be instrumental in making us feel good, particularly in this time. And share it. Like if you, you know, if you feel good as a mum sitting at home going, I went for a walk today. I know we're not going to the shops, but this is what I'm wearing. And, I'm, and, and you know, we're going to get on, you know, an app and we're all going to talk together. And we're going to have a wine at four o'clock. Like whatever you've got to do, do it. It's a pretty powerful tool of connection, I think, fashion. Yeah. And creativity. Like it's art for a lot of people. Absolutely. And I think it's real expression. Lana, the last question we ask is always the same. And you have actually touched on it already today, but I wanted to get a more fleshed out answer from you. And that is what is success to you? How do you define success in your own life? I think that success for me on this day today is to come out the other side. But in saying that, we were already striving to make sure we were growing and getting bigger. I think for me, I'm fortunate that decisions that at the time I wasn't sure were going to be that critical, like not going too big too early. You know, I had a lot of great opportunities and offers to go big. And I'm grateful that my instinct was like, when you started to become a stylist, you, you took the slow and steady wins the race and I took the same approach with my product and I'm very grateful because it's put me in a great position to be able to scale. Yeah. So for me, success looks like growing my brand, making people feel good. I think more than ever, people want to hear something good. So, you know, those times where people would say, oh, can you give me styling advice? Now I can. So what, what does that look like? So I think just trying to make people feel good in whatever that is, if it's through styling, if it's through reassurance, if it's through business, if it's through shoes, like we've just got to all get around each other and and that's what success looks like to me, being kind and really, I guess, making people feel good. That's a legacy you leave and I think that that's what success looks like for me today. Lana, thank you so much. I have had the best time me having too. this conversation thank with you. you. It has been so lovely to her. It's just a lovely distraction, to be totally honest with you. Oh, it's been – I've fucking loved it. Yeah, I've honest. been watching oh, you. I've been, been sitting back just listening I most of the time. I've been so enjoying um, it. Thank you so much it, for joining us. As we said, you supported us so early on and oh, we are yeah. always going to be grateful to you and you made the time for us today in a time where it's a weird world and we are very, very grateful. Oh, so am I. And I think that's what it's about. Keep supporting everyone, your businesses, your, your local identities, whoever it is, get around people. And, and I'm so grateful to you guys. Thanks so much. What a love fest. Ah, thank you, Lana. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to this In Conversation episode of Shameless with Lana Wilkinson. If you loved listening to Lana as much as we loved having her, you can find her on Instagram at Lana Wilkinson. As for us, well, Mish and I are independent podcasters who do this without the support of a network. So the best way to support us, particularly at this time, is to show us how you are listening via your Instagram stories. Either take a screenshot of your podcast app and tell us your thoughts on the episode or show us how you're listening at the moment, whether that be walking your dog and getting some fresh air, doing some baking or procrastinating while working. That's all from us. We'll be back in your ears on Monday with the wrap in the week that was in pop culture. Until then, we will see you on Instagram or in our Facebook group. Bye, guys.
Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse, if you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.